0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Redeemed Christian Church of God Friends Parish, Camberwell, London. And you're welcome to tonight's Bible study session. Tonight we're studying the book of Luke and chapter 9. And we're continuing our study of Luke chapter 9 that we started last week from verse 18 through to verse 42. So if you've just joined in, please just pop open your Bible and join in the study tonight. God bless you. Right, so now as I was saying in verse 19, The disciples of Jesus then responded to the question. They said, some people say that you are John the Baptist, whilst others say you are Elijah, while others say that you are one of those prophets who died and have come back to life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if these were the three schools of thought, if these were the three perceptions that the multitude had, that followed Jesus, you can understand why the multitude did not get their blessings. Think about it, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says everywhere Jesus went, a multitude followed him. We need to understand the gravity of that phrase. You see, because because in almost every occurrence where, where people gather, in Bible days, a census was usually taken to ascertain the number of people gathered at any one place. A very good example, we learned just, pre, just in previous verses here that Jesus fed 5,000 men with the exclusion of women and children. If we go back to the Old Testament, we, um, we see that uh, uh, um, in, in numerous places, the number of people who are gathered in any one place are usually uh, are recorded. We learned that, for instance, that Gideon went to battle with 300 men. We, uh, um, uh, uh, in several places in scripture, we will learn that, oh, a very good example, that 20,000 men fell in one night or 20,000 or 20, men went to battle. The Bible keeps keeping records of the number of people that are gathered. But ladies and gentlemen, When it comes to the number of people that follow Jesus, the scripture usually uses phrases like a multitude or a a large crowd as as used in the Good News Translation. So this makes us understand that the people that followed Jesus were probably innumerable. Hallelujah. Now, look at something really interesting. Interesting. If we look throughout Jesus' ministry, we notice that the people that Jesus healed were usually not part of the crowd or the multitude that followed him. There were people that were singled out. Very good example, the woman with the issue of blood. She was healed. She was singled out. What about blind Mattias who cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was singled out. What about the crippled guy who was by the well? sorry um by the uh, um, by the stream, who had been there for thirty nine years? Jesus saw the guy and had mercy on him and healed him. Now notice that jesus at uh, at this point in time would would leave the crowd behind and heal somebody and single out somebody and heal them. but the crowd kept following Jesus for the three years of his ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, the crowd kept following Jesus, but they did not receive their healing. They did not receive their blessings. They did not receive their miracles. They just kept following him everywhere. Because Jesus himself admitted that the crowd were after him for what they could benefit, for for what they could eat, what they could get from Jesus, but not so much what, what they could learn from Jesus. Hallelujah. So these people followed just because of some material gain that they were after or some sort of physical gain that they were after. They were not after a relationship with Jesus. They were not after any spiritual gifting from Jesus. They didn't want to know who Jesus was. They just wanted what they could benefit from him directly. So they kept trolling after Jesus everywhere he went. Now, ladies and gentlemen, so in verse 18, when Jesus asked his disciples the question, what do people say or who do people say I am? In 19, look at the responses that came back. Some, uh, the disciples said, some people say you are John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not perform miracles. All John the Baptist did was baptize. Okay? Others answered. So others say that you are Elijah. Elijah had died several hundred years before Jesus. At least about 700, with nearly a thousand years before Jesus. Let me say that again. Elijah had died nearly a thousand years before Jesus. So, the people who thought Jesus was Elijah, they were not coming to him because they wanted something. They were coming to see Elijah. So, they were just gathering to see the spectacle. Hallelujah. And then, others say, the third group of people, others say that you're one of the prophets from hold who have come back to life, like Elijah. So ladies and gentlemen, if this is the understanding, if this is the impression that the people had about Jesus, you can understand why they didn't believe in Jesus. Because their perception of Jesus was screwed. Their perception of Jesus was wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, now I want to table this now to you, who is listening to me tonight as a question: What is your perception of jesus who who is Jesus to you? When you close your eyes and you pray, how do you pi- what do you picture Jesus to be, or who do you picture Jesus to be? You see because your understanding because your understanding of who Jesus is will determine how you approach Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. The people that thought Jesus was John the Baptist, they were only coming to be baptized. And, uh, okay, and also to see a man that has been dead come back to life. So they were just coming to see the spectacle. Likewise, the people who thought Jesus was, um, was Elijah who had died nearly a thousand years before Jesus, they, they were also coming to see a spectacle. And likewise, the other people, uh, the group of people who thought Jesus was one of the prophets of old, who had come back to life, they also were just coming to see a spectacle. So basically, the crowd that followed Jesus were only there to see what, what, what Jesus would do. They were spectators. So ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or are you a spectator of Jesus? Do you come to church because because you have a desire to have a relationship with the Lord? Or are you there as a spectator, a bench warmer? Ladies and gentlemen, these multitudes followed Jesus for three years of his ministry. And after three years of following him around every day, they went back home, empty-handed. But the people who believed in Jesus, the people who had the relationship with Jesus, the people who desired to experience Jesus, like blind Mattias, who cried out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People like that received their blessings, received their miracles. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to start off by by praying a short prayer for everybody. I pray that that no one here would follow Jesus in vain. I pray that for everyone that is trusting the Lord for one thing or the other, trusting the Lord for a relationship, that you will indeed meet with the Lord. And the Lord will show himself mighty in your life and your situation in Jesus' name. So let's go further. Now in verse 20, look at what happens. Jesus then turned to his disciples. So now, Jesus now understands what the crowd, how the crowd see him. How the crowd perceives him. Jesus now turns to his disciples and now asks his disciples the question, Who do you say I am? Okay, so so now we understand. We understand what the rest of everybody else thinks. What do you think? You've been following me around. What do you see? I am. And Peter spoke up boldly and says, "You are God's Messiah." That's what the good. News, that's the good news. Uh, uh, translation. He says that you uh, you are the son of God, the Messiah. You are the Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter knew who Jesus was. He didn't think Jesus was John the Baptist. He didn't think Jesus was one of the prophets of old. He didn't think Jesus was Elijah, who had died uh, uh, nearly a thousand years before. uh, Peter said very boldly, You are God's Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter knew Jesus. So let me ask you the question. Do you really know this Jesus that you talk about? Do you know Jesus or do you know of Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, if somebody was to ask me, do you know Beyonce? Beyonce? Or do you know um, uh, uh, um, the ex-president of, my, uh, of America, uh, the Barack Obama? I would, my response to them would be, well, I don't know them, I don't know Obama, but I know of him. I've seen him, I can recognize a photograph of him. I've heard him speak, I've listened to a lot of speeches of his. But do I know the man Barack Obama. No, I don't know him, but I know of him. Likewise, if you ask me, do I know Beyonce? I will say, well, I don't know her, but I know of her. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know Jesus or do you only know of Jesus? Do do, Do you truly know Jesus? You see, because if you know Jesus, then it means that, that you know what Jesus is capable of doing. So if you know that Jesus has all power and all majesties on His shoulders, to know that, you need to know Jesus. If you know that, the, that Jesus is able to liberate you and answer your prayers, Do you know that because you know Jesus will do it? And you know Jesus always keeps his word? Or do you know that simply because you've heard of Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, Peter responded in verse 20. It says, you are God's son. You are God's Messiah. Peter knew Jesus. He didn't just know of him. Hallelujah. Verse 21. Then Jesus gave them strict orders Not to tell this to anyone. Now that's interesting. You will think at this time, at this time, that obviously people have witnessed loads of miracles. They've witnessed Jesus, you know, feeding 5,000 people from, from a little boy's lunch. They've seen people being healed and whatnot. You would wonder why Jesus would tell his disciples, very strictly, not to tell anybody who he is. That he is God's Messiah. Now somebody may ask that as a question and say, but why would Jesus say that in verse 21? Ladies and gentlemen, it's because Jesus' time was not yet. And what do I mean by that statement? Jesus was going to go through persecution and tribulation with the Pharisees and the, and the rulers of the, um, of the synagogues and whatnot. But it was not time for that to happen. He didn't want to short-circuit it. Jesus wanted to go through the process. Hallelujah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's really interesting here that Jesus told his disciples to tell nobody because he he was not after fame. If his disciples had gone around telling everybody, this is the Messiah, this is the God's son, this is the guy we've been waiting for the multitude that followed him would have built up even more. So Jesus told his disciples to not tell anybody. And I think that is a very, very humbling trait of him, of his, to keep his fame at bay. Verse 22, let's go further. He also told them, the son of man must suffer much and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He will be put to death But three days later, he will be raised. Which is the point I just made. Verse 23. And he said to them all, If you want to come with me, you must forget yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me. For if you want to save your own life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 25. Will you gain anything? If you win the whole world but lost, but uh, I beg your pardon, but are lost yourself or defeated? Of course not. If you are ashamed of me and my teaching, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and, and the glory of the angels. I assure you that there are some here who will not die until they have seen the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, now, these verses I've just read through from verse 23 through to verse 27 are quite loaded and they're quite, I promise you ladies and gentlemen, I could spend, I could spend an hour teaching on these verses because they are, they are very loaded. Now in verse 23, Jesus starts off by telling his disciples that, look, if you want to come with me, you must forget yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me. Jesus says, if you want to come with me, if you want to be where I be, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Look at that. Look at the way you put it there. You must forget yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me. Now, what is, Now, what's Jesus talking about here? You must forget yourself. What Jesus was saying here in verse 23 is that, that in order to serve him, to serve the Lord faithfully, In order to walk in the footsteps of the Lord, in order for the Holy Spirit to lead us to be more like Jesus, we have to give up on self. We have to give up on self. And what does that mean? We have to give up on being self centered, on being self focused. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very easy to live for ourselves. What does it really mean to live for ourselves, to care about ourselves? That our priority is our comfort. Our priority is is our lives. What would I eat? Where would I live? Oh, I have to do this first. I have to focus on me first. Me, 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 I and myself. Jesus is saying here in verse 23 that we cannot be Christians. We cannot follow him if we don't forget ourselves. Now, look at what he says here. He says, if you want to come with me, you must forget yourselves take up your cross every day and follow me. Ladies and gentlemen, that, now this statement simply means putting God first before us. Putting God first. Prior, uh, getting our priorities right. That on, on the hierarchy of priorities, God comes first. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. That and, and it's not a matter of making Or putting God first maybe once a week, once a month, or once in our lifetime. Verse 23 says, we have to pick up our cross every day. Every day. So it means that we have to put God first daily. Jesus said, if we want to come with Him, if we want to be with Him, this is what we have to do. Ladies and gentlemen, the things of God shouldn't be an afterthought. We shouldn't plan our lives and try and fit God in. God should be the center of us, of our being. Which means we plan our lives around God. Ladies and gentlemen, I said this to one of my brothers in the church once and I'm going to say it again to everybody to listen today. If you find that you don't have time to read your Bible every day without fail and you don't have time for prayer Ladies and gentlemen, can I categorically tell you that that you are not living in God's will for your life? Let me say that again. If you find that you are too busy to read your Bible daily, or you are too busy to pray, to find time to pray, can I categorically tell you right now that you are not in God's will for your life? You are not. Because God will never make you too busy for Him. God will not make you too busy to fellowship with Him, to have time to spend time with Him. Ladies and gentlemen, we are, we are supposed to build our lives around God. We are supposed to build our, our lives around the things of God. We don't try and fit God in, into our lives. That is not what we do. If you find that you're struggling to get time to pray, you're struggling to get time to fellowship, you're struggling to find time to read your Bible, can I tell you tonight, take it from me tonight, that you are not in God's will for your life. Let me tell you that right here, right now. Because God will not make you too busy for Him. God will not fill up your life with so much stuff that you won't have time to spend time in fellowship with Him. So ladies and gentlemen, if you find that this is, this is your reality at this point in time, please let this be a wake-up call that, that, that your life is, comp- is very wrong. Your priorities are, are unordered. They are out of order, if you like. So let's go further. So Jesus says in 23, "If you want to come with me, you must forget yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And take up your cross every day and follow me." So Jesus so now listen gentlemen, this statement reminds me of the of the instruction that Jesus gave the rich young man. Do you remember when Jesus was 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 with his disciples The Bible says a rich young man came up to him and said, "Tell me, what else, what else can I do, in order to inherit the kingdom of God?" And Jesus said to him, "You obey the commandments and do this and love your neighbors as you love yourself and da 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 and do that da 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 da." And the guy said, "I have, I have already been doing those. I've been observing all of these laws since I was a child." And then Jesus then told him. Go take everything you got, sell it, and bring the money and give the money to the poor. And then pick up your cross and come and follow me. And the Bible says, I make us understand that the rich young man went away heartbroken because he was very rich. This verse 23 reminds me of that story because Jesus is almost saying to us that we are to give up on ourselves give up the need for ourselves and pick up our cross every day and come and follow him. So somebody may ask me the question, Pastor, but what does that really mean to forget ourselves? Now, to forget ourselves means that we are to stop living for ourselves. It is default human nature to care about oneself above everyone else. In fact, in psychology, it is said that, uh, that human beings are, are by default selfish. We focus on ourselves, on our own needs first. We, our default setting is self-preservation. We try to look for the needs that meet ours first before we think of others. But if you notice, ladies and gentlemen, the teachings of Jesus are quite contrary to this. Jesus tells us that we are not to retaliate, for instance. That if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, you're meant to turn the left. Ladies and gentlemen, if we were to live for ourselves, then our our default reaction would have been to retaliate immediately. But Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says that, that we are to be sheep. Sheep don't have horns. Sheep don't have sharp teeth or claws. Sheep can't fight for themselves, but Jesus is teaching us that we are to be sheep. That we are to give up our lives. That if somebody takes advantage of us, that we are to let them go. Jesus tells us that that we are not to be mad at people who upset us, especially those that do it deliberately. That we are to leave. That we are to leave the battle for God. That we are to leave the vengeance for God. Ladies and gentlemen. Obeying these principles is what it means to to, uh, to deny oneself. To stop living for oneself. Whereby, rather than live for yourself, you start living for God. Or living for Christ. And what that simply means is living your life in a way that, that, that obeys the principles of Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's what Jesus was saying here in verse 23. That if you want to come with me, you have to forget yourself. You have to put yourself uh, put yourself behind. Take up your cross, that is the things of God. Bear that cross the way Christ bore his for us. We are to bear uh, ours and follow him. Hallelujah. Let's go further. Verse 24. For if you want to save your own life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. Now that's a very interesting statement. Jesus is saying here, now I'm just going to hold on there for a moment. I noticed that so- someone just logged in right now. You're welcome. Good evening. This is the Redeemed Christian Church of God Friends Parish, Camberwell, London. We are having our Bible study session and tonight we are studying the book of Luke and chapter 9. We are reading from verse 18 through to verse 42. We are on verse 24 right about now. So please pop your Bible open and join in the study. God bless you. So in verse 24, Jesus says, If you want to save your own life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is saying to us here that if we try to save our own lives, if we try to live for ourselves, If we try to live a selfish life, a self-focused life, a self-centered life, Jesus says we will lose it. That we won't gain anything. Ladies and gentlemen, the world teaches, the philosophies of the world teach that if you want to survive, you, you have to put yourself first. You don't trust nobody and you live for yourself. Jesus is saying that that way of living is fallacy. That way of living is wrong. That if you live for yourself, you will lose your life. You will basically lose it. You won't gain anything. The things you're chasing, you will lose it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus is saying that if you lose your life for my sake, what does that mean? If you give up your need to be right. If you give up your, the need to live for yourself. For my sake, Jesus says that you will gain the life that you're chasing, that you need. And I think that's a very powerful statement. So Jesus is teaching us here in verse 24 that what our priorities should be. Our priorities should be God. Our lives should be Christ-focused, not self-focused. Hallelujah. Now, he buttresses this point in verse 25 where he says, Will you gain anything If you win the whole world but lose yourself, lost or defeated, think about it ladies and gentlemen. If you chase all the money, all the riches, all the fame and everything in this that this world has to offer. If you chase it all and you get it all only to lose your life in the process, lose all that matters, have you truly gained anything then? Can you imagine the rich old man who who spent all of his life squindling orders, duping orders, robbing orders. He He made a massive amount of money, filled up his warehouse with money. He was so excited and the guy dies. Leaves the money for his children and relatives to squander. And his children, being people of good rapport, decided to give the money to the poor. So ladies and gentlemen, the rich old man, did he gain anything? He amassed all the wealth and all the fame and everything, but he lost his life. Ladies and gentlemen, even more so, if, if as Christians, we pursue the things, that are, the things that are of no value, the fame, the money, the, the oh, this, my job, my house, my this, my that, and you, we chase all these things, and eventually we lose heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, would we have gained anything? If we gained this whole world, make all the money and everything in this world, and then we miss heaven, because we were too busy chasing the things of the world, would we have gained anything? This is what Jesus is trying to make us understand, that we are to set our priorities right. The Bible teaches us in the book of Matthew and chapter 6. Matthew and chapter 6, the Bible clearly makes us understand that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. We are to seek first the kingdom of God, seek the will of God. That that should be our priority. And this righteousness, living in a right stead for the Lord and then everything else will be added to us. That's what the Bible promised. That's what the Lord promised you. So God is saying, keep your priorities right. Trust me, live for me, and I will sort everything else out. Hallelujah. Let's go further. Verse 26. If you are ashamed of me and my teaching, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and the glory of the angels. 27. I assure you that there are some here who will not die until they have seen the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So ladies and gentlemen, um, I shared this in church on Sunday, that the kingdom of God is not heaven. Just to be very, very clear here, the kingdom of God does not refer to, a, uh, to heaven. The kingdom of God refers to where the will of God is done. So that can include heaven, but the point is that the kingdom, that the kingdom of God may, uh, refers to the will of God where the will of God is being done is is where the kingdom of God resides hallelujah so when Jesus was saying was saying to the uh, to the disciples and the people there that some people here there would not die before they see they before they have seen the kingdom of God he was saying to them that that some people here would not die before they start to see the will of God take place in uh, Um, in their environment and and, and as we can see from scripture in the book of Acts of the Apostles and chapter 2, we learn that the Spirit of God came down upon the disciples of Jesus, all 120 of them when they were gathered in the upper room and they were filled with with all kinds of with um, sorry, they were filled with the spirit of God, and and all kinds of anointing was upon their lives that they broke forth from there, and on and, and were unleashed on Jerusalem and all of the provinces around. And the glory of God came down because the, because people um, witnessed Jesus's disciples going forth, healing, casting out demons, preaching the gospel, and it was just absolutely amazing. And from there, the early church was birth. And that, and that has continued through, to, through today. Now, I, I just gave us a quick rundown in history, how this came about. Because, this is, because, these, uh, because these truths validate the word of Jesus here in verse 27. So now verse 28. About a week after he had said these things, Jesus took Peter, John and James with him and went to the hill to pray. While he was praying, his face changed its appearance and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, men were, two men were talking to him. They were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in the, in the heavenly glory and talked with Jesus about the way in which he would soon fulfill God's purpose by dying in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were sound asleep. But they woke up and saw Jesus' glory and the two men there standing were talking with him. And verse 33, As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, how how good it is that we are here. We will make tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Hallelujah. Now, I want to start off by talking from verse 28. Now, We read about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus when Jesus was transfigured, and he had a visit from Moses and Elijah. Now, something interesting that I think is worth mentioning here is now verse twenty-eight. It says it starts off by saying about a week after um, what happened previously, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him to pray to a hill to pray. Now, Jesus took Now, Jesus had 12 disciples who were the closest 12 to him. Of the 12, he chose Peter, James, and John to join him in prayer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can I also remind everybody here, everybody listen to me tonight, that other than the 12, Jesus had the 120 disciples. But of the 120, the 12 were the closest, well, were his inner circle, if you like. Now, but of his inner circle, he had three generals, who were Peter, James, and John. So now, ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? When, If you needed to pray, and you needed people to stand with you in prayer, who are the people you invite? Who do you, who do you encourage to stand with you in the place of prayer? Who do you when you get to pick people to join you in prayer, who do you choose? Ladies and gentlemen, there was a reason why Jesus did not take the twelve. He didn't take the, he didn't take the twelve for a reason. And if we go back to when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, earlier in the scripture, uh, 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 sorry, uh, last chapter, uh, chapter 8, we read that again Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, including Jairus and his wife, into the girl's room? What about the others? Why would Jesus not take the other nine disciples with him? Why only take Peter, James, and John? Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to believe that the answer to that question is in what happened in Jairus' house. When people didn't believe that Uh, Jesus' statement that Jairus' daughter was only asleep, Jesus uh, um, drove out all of the non-believers, the them of little faith. He drove them all out of the girl's room. And he left with him Jairus, uh, the uh, the girl's father, the girl's mother, uh, Peter, James, and John. This tells me, ladies and gentlemen, that of the twelve disciples, Peter, James, and John had more faith than the others. One could infer from this that Peter, James, and John, in fact, were more spiritually matured than the others. For that reason, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and, and they were more of his inner circle, if you like, his, close, um, his closest knit, his generals, if you like. Now, it's interesting that Jesus took them to the Mount of Transfiguration so that they could witness with their own eyes Jesus' uh, transfiguration. Ladies and gentlemen, also, Peter, James, and John were also the only human beings on earth who witnessed with their own eyes who saw Moses and Elijah. Remember that Moses and Elijah had died Oh, about a thousand years prior. So Jesus, so these guys, Peter, James, and John, saw with their own eyes Moses and Elijah. What, what a privilege. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to go back to verse 20 and ask you, when you need people to pray, we pray along with you. Who do you pick? Do you just pick people randomly just because they are available? Or do you go with people that can actually contribute to your faith? People who are equal of like faith as as yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus wouldn't allow the naysayers, the non-believers, the them of little faith, to be in the same room as him, there is a big lesson here, ladies and gentlemen. Don't share your dreams and aspirations with just anybody. Don't share your concerns and your faith with just anybody with the things you believe. Because if you share them with people of, of very little faith, they can be an hindrance. Hallelujah. They can be an hindrance to you. They can be an hindrance to you getting your blessing, your miracle. They can even dilute your faith. So I think this is a very important and crucial lesson to learn here. So, now, in the, in the following verses, we read about how Peter now witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. And he saw Moses and Elijah stand with Jesus as, as the transfiguration happened. So, let's go further. Verse 34. While he was still speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them with its with shadow. And the disciples were afraid. As the cloud came over them, a voice said from heaven, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Hallelujah. Now, this is the second time that God speaks about Jesus. The first time is recorded in the book of Matthew and chapter 6 when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. The Bible teaches us that as he rose out of the water, that the uh, the Spirit of God descended on him and a voice came from heaven, God spoke, acknowledging and confirming Jesus as his son. Now again, God speaks for the second time about Jesus, but this time, while Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and and, uh, and God spoke and says, This is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. Ladies and gentlemen, God confirmed to everybody that could listen, that Jesus is his son, and that we are to listen to Jesus. God confirmed that there is a covenant, a contract that exists between mankind and God, through Jesus. Jesus, God, God spoke out and said, listen to him. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a very powerful message there. And I would like to throw that up to everybody listening to me tonight. That God is saying to you, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. You need to listen to Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus. Because your miracle, your breakthrough, the way out of your situation is in the words of Christ. So God is saying here, this is my son whom I have chosen. Jesus is the chosen one. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He is the way to salvation. He is the way to the Father. And there is nobody else that can come to God except through Christ. That includes uh, people that subscribe to other religions. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. And God speaks here by saying, listen to him. Verse 36. When the voice stopped, there was Jesus all alone. The disciples kept quiet about all this and told no one at the time what they had seen. Verse 37 The next day Jesus and the three disciples went down from the hill, and a large crowd met Jesus. A man shouted from the crowd, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, my only son. A spirit takes him with a sudden shout and throws him into a pit, into a fit, so that he foams at the mouth." It keeps, it keeps hurting him and will hardly let him go. 40. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Jesus answered, How unbelieving and wrong you people are. How long must I stay with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Then he said to the man, Bring your son here. As the boy was coming, the demon knocked him to the ground, threw him into a fit, and threw him into a fit. Jesus uh, Jesus gave the command to the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. All the people were amazed at the mighty power of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, we read here about the young man who, who was possessed by a demon. Some translations of the of the scripture de, uh, describes the um, the the illness this guy had, the young boy had here, as epilepsy. And we read here uh, there's some things that were well taken away from this. The first is that behind uh, this boy's sickness was a demon was a spirit I know we live in a we live in an age whereby people don't tend to believe in spirits and demons and whatnot anymore but can I please say to you ladies and gentlemen please do not be mistaken demons exist and Jesus even confirmed it in Scripture that demons exist the Bible teaches us that we rest not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, and against rulers of darkness in high places. We read that people were possessed by demons. And I would like to believe that this, still, this practice still continues till today. This is, this is yet another reason why we should pray about everything. So, we read here that, that when Jesus was coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, He finds a large crowd at the base of the mountain with the other disciples, with the other nine. And we witness a father who is very desperate for his son to be healed. Jesus takes the boy and heals him. But then what's more interesting is what happened next. Because we read here that, uh, uh, sorry, as we go further into the further verses, we read here that the disciples were bewildered. They were baffled why they couldn't cast out the demon from the young boy, only to find out a very crucial statement that Jesus made here. That Jesus goes further to say that things that not everything can come out, um, um, not every victory, can be won without fasting and prayer. So I would like to encourage everybody tonight that if you're not fasting, please take part in it. We are currently um, undergoing a 40-day fast, which ends on the, uh, I believe it ends on the 19th, on the 19th of February. But uh, apart from this, we, uh, as a church, Friends Parish, we, we partake in a fast every Tuesday to pray over the church and pray over the prayer request of, of the people. So, so I encourage you tonight to please join in the fast. Join in the fast. And I pray that the Lord will honor you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to a close on our Bible study tonight. And I want to take a moment out to appreciate everybody on this call and say thank you for joining us this evening. So as usual, I would like to take questions and I encourage everyone that if you have a question, stay on the line until after the final prayer and then you can raise your questions. And by the grace of God, the Lord will grant the wisdom to his servants to answer said questions in the name of Jesus. At this time, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you, Almighty Father, for being there for us. Glory be to your name in Jesus' name. Lord, as we've learned your word tonight, we ask that your word remain a watchword in our souls. Your watchword will stay within us in the mighty name of Jesus. Almighty Father, Lord, we ask for your spirit to continue to guide us and teach us that what you have us know. At the end of each day, Almighty Father, give us every cause to honor your name. In Jesus' precious name do we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been an honor and a pleasure taking you through the word tonight. I want to take a moment out to appreciate everybody on this call one more time. And say thank you very much for joining in the prayer meeting tonight. As usual, if you have a question, don't go away. Stay on the line. And by the grace of God, I will take your questions. And for everybody else, I'd like to say have a very good evening. God bless you. And we'll see you next week, Wednesday, by the grace of God, as we continue our study of the book of Luke and chapter 9. God bless you, everybody. Have a good night, everyone. Bye for now, everybody. I love you all. Bye. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you indeed. Good night, everybody. God bless you. Bye for now. Bye.